0: Thank you, Vicar. (laughs) Uh, Good morning, church. Amazing, I'm back here again. And uh, uh, as you know, bazinga, I am not 40 anymore. I am gonna be turning 60 this July. Amazing, eh? Don't react like that. (laughs) Um, In Guatemala, turning 60 is uh, a big deal. Uh, what happens is that uh, you're then termed to be that you get a uh, free bus fare. Uh, it costs 10p, but I'll be saving that at some point. Um, it also means that uh, you don't have to queue anymore to, um, to go to the bank because they have uh, special queues for old people. So that's, uh, that's really good. And be a little bit nostalgia. and I was thinking about this recently when I had some old people come to visit me in Guatemala, and I started taking notes of some of the things that they were doing so I could be prepared, uh, ready for being old. And um, it was interesting that uh, I started like them, when you're eating a meal, to be pre- preoccupied with where the next meal is coming from. Um, also... Um, they were talking about having falls and not trips. Um, they were also wandering around, as Mike did, with his glasses, and saying, have you seen my glasses? <laughs> um, they would wander into rooms and then wonder why they were there. Um, and when asked them, when they asked if you would like a cup of tea, would look at their watch to see if there was a particular time that tea needed to be served. And, um, Every meal seemed to be uh, finished with uh, making sure that everybody eats everything on the plate... So uh, so I 'm ready and I 'm prepared, and I 'm feeling a little bit nostalgic today, not only as I look back uh, on uh, almost 60 years of life, but look back to the day in 1981 when I opened doors then, and I walked into church. Things were very different uh, in those days in Christchurch, and uh, today 's reading was chosen because it was chosen two months ago, actually. I think it fits really well with where we 're at, uh, as a, hopefully as a church and as a nation. Uh, But it was chosen because it was one of the first Bible verses I learned. And it says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And I have a very good answer to that question, which I want to share with you about. But I got four points to my sermon. Tim was making sure how many points that I had, three or four. Um, And so our first point today is the letter C, and it stands for CALL. And so uh, um, I want to tell you a little bit, very briefly, about the call that I had, uh, because I know many people have asked, they've missed out on the sort of uh, testimony little bit, but how God called me when I was uh, 21 years of age, and I was living in a bedsit uh, in a place called Blackpool. I don't know if you've ever been to Blackpool. Um, not many people do go to Blackpool. But uh, I was living in Blackpool, and I was living in this bedsit, and I remember going back to my, was uh, predominant in my mind was, how am I going to end my life? I had no reason for living whatsoever. I had never been to church. I had no one, i never read the Bible before. I didn't know anything about God. I used the language, uh, but it was in, a, in that bed sit. And I just thought, okay, tonight is the night. This is the night when I end my life. And this thought, as I was thinking this, this thought popped into my head what if there is a God? And as I thought that, I thought, well, if there is a God, then at some point um, when I die, something is going to happen. Because when I die, that is forever and ever and ever and ever. And I went on and I went on. And so um, it was that thought that then led me to just being silent, and in that silence, what an amazing thing happened. I heard in this room an audible voice speak to me. There was no one else in this bed sit. It was a tiny little bed sit, not much bigger than a double bed, but there I was, and I heard this audible voice, and it said, go to Tunbridge Wells and seek me there. So that's what I did. I went in and I gave my notice in, and my boss said, you've got to give a month's notice. I said, well, I've got to go to Tunbridge Wells today. And he went, Why? I said, God's told me. And we're like, what, you? Like, <laughs> the guy that wastes all his wages every week going down the pub and getting drunk. You are the guy that's, that God's spoken to. He's like, go, you know, get out of here. So, uh, so I turn up, and here I am by the train station. And I'm 21, and I know nobody in Tunbridge Wells. I've got no job here, I've got nowhere to live. And it's like three in the afternoon. And so. I walk up the road, Grove Hill Road, up the side, and there's a little newsagent on me, and uh, there's an announcement in there, and it said, uh, bedsit. So I ring this lady up, and I said, I'm really interested. I had to use the, the phone of the guy who owns the newsagent to phone her. Uh, and uh, so she comes out about an hour later, and it's 28 Grove Hill Road, this bedsit. Anyone know that? Okay, so 28 Grove Hill Road, and so she shows me this grotty little bedsit. Um, it's probably not like that now, but... Uh, um, and it was there that I started uh, to think, okay, what the heck am I doing here? Because she said, okay, we need a deposit, we need a reference, we need this, we need that. I said, I haven't got any of those. I said, but God's told me to come here. I didn't know she was a Christian. She went, oh, okay. Um, so she said, well, have you got a job? And I said, no. And she said, well, look, I'll give you till five o'clock to get a job. <laughs> so I thought, okay, it's now half three, quarter four something, so... Uh, I rushed upstairs, rushed up to the town and on the left hand side was the old job centre. So I walk into the job centre and uh, the guy obviously could see me coming in more ways than one and uh, he said, uh, what are you doing here, pal? And I said, well, I'm, look, I want a job. And he said, where are you from? <laughs> so um, he said, you know, what qualifications have you got? I couldn't even spell qualifications at that point. So. Uh, I just walked out, as no way I was going to find a job at the job centre. So I walked up a little bit, and on the right, on the corner, where I think the Metro Bank is now, there used to be uh, a department store. Does anyone remember that? Okay, it was a, thank you. There's a department store there, so it's all real. And I walked in there, and I was in this, walked into the silverware department, and the guy comes up to me, and he said, um, he said, uh, can I ask you, he said, are you looking for a job? And I went, I am, actually. And he looked at this silverware, and he said, do you think you could sell this? And I'm thinking, for my background, I can sell anything. <laughs> so, so he said, do you think you could, when do you think you could start? I said, I could start tomorrow if you want. He said, fantastic. Turn up here. Fantastic. Turn up here with a suit. I said, don't have a suit. He said, you don't have a suit. I said, I don't have a suit. He said, uh, come with me. So he took me upstairs to the men's department, gave me a suit. I mean, this doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> um, and uh, I said to him, how much do I get paid? And he told me. And I said, can I have some of that money now? He went, what? I said, well, I need it. I've got to pay my rent. So he gets, gives me money out of his own pocket. I mean, it doesn't happen, does it? And I come back, indeed. I come back and I say to the lady, got a job. Here's the money. And uh, I started work. On the Sunday after those first few days, I hear these bells going. The, the old church, the old church here. And I could hear these bells thinking, that's probably where God lives. You know? He lives in that building. I've never been in one of those before. So I, I walk in the steps. There's a guy called Stuart, and he's on the door. And he's uh, uh, those people might know, remember Stuart. Um, so Stuart's on the door, and he's got this massive pile of books. He goes, Hello, brother. I'm going, What is wrong with you? <laughs> and he gives me these pile of books, and uh, he comes, and I said, he said, Go on in. So I come in and foolishly come and sit at the front. There's no one at the front in those days. They're all at the blast three rows at the back. And then the funniest thing happened. Out from the corner over here walks a guy in a dress. (laughs) And I'm giggling away thinking, my goodness, what am I doing here? Anyway, as time went on, um, I got through the service. I didn't know when to stand up, sit down, which book to use and all that sort of thing. Absolutely, I'm never, ever going to come back here. And uh, well, God doesn't live here, that's for sure. Um, but at the end of the service, the, the, the minister's wife, she came over and said hi to me. And uh, she said, uh, would, you like, would you like to come back to lunch? So as soon as she said the word lunch, the word yes just comes straight out. <laughs> and my ma- Yes, I will. So she did the lunch thing. Turns out to be the vicar's wife. So I'm at the vicarage your place and I'm having lunch so we do lunch and then she said come for we go for walks so we do the walk thing and then she says okay we'd like to have afternoon tea did that then she said okay we're off to church again and I said yes so we go to church so we go to church in the evening and there's like four people there two of them are asleep um, and uh, so we do the evening service and she said look would you like to come on Wednesday to a bible study it's like a bible study oh, what is that so she, she said, well, it's a Bible study. Should we eat first? I said, I'll be there. <laughs> so uh, this elderly couple were hosting the Bible study. So I turned up, uh, did the Bible study, and they just kept inviting me for food, which was great. And uh, I was hearing all this stuff about Jesus. And I was hearing all this stuff, Jesus on the cross, and he died for you. and all, It was just stuff I was hearing, but I was eating. And so that was fine for me. And, but something was happening in, in me. And I was like becoming interested, but I didn't understand about Jesus at all. And then after a few weeks, I managed to buy myself a tiny second-hand TV set up in town, six-inch screen, black and white. I took it back to my bedsit here in Grove Hill Road, turned it on and tried to get the old things going, you know. And uh, I got a station that actually worked, that I could see almost clearly. And this film started, went on for hours. It was called Ben-Hur. I might cry because as I watched this film, the camera came at one point from the film and uh, there's Jesus on the cross and the camera comes and he says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I thought, so that's what it means. And I just just broke down in tears and I knelt down by my, my little bed and I just cried and cried and cried and I just kept saying, sorry God, I did that. Sorry for breaking into that person's house. Sorry for doing that. Sorry for stealing there. Sorry for doing that. Sorry for getting a criminal record. Sorry. And my life just went, you know, just went on and on as I'm pouring out to God and saying, sorry. Something was happening. I don't know what. The next morning, when I woke up, I found myself half on the bed, still dressed from the day before. Um, But something had changed. It was like I'd been cleaned, I was clean inside. I didn't know what had happened. And so I came to this Bible study and someone said, you've become a Christian. And for me, that was my call. My call started there because I know that I have an answer to give everybody who asked me to give the reason for the hope that I have. Because it started with an amazing call and it started right here in this church back in 1981. You can say amen if you want to. So uh, secondly, um, what I've realised is that as time goes on, that we need to make sure that we are very clear, point number two, uh, our second C, we need to be very clear about the things that we do when we are sharing our experience with those people on the outside of these building here. We have, when we talk about the hope that we have, uh, that we are very clear as Christians at uh, using a really amazing language uh, within our church, a, a language that we're probably all familiar with, but a language that, for a lot of people out there, have got a clue what we're talking about. And sometimes I think it's a real challenge for us to think about the words that we use uh, when we're talking to people who don't have a faith at all. And so if you're thinking about how you can put into words your experience of God and your hope in God in a way that that person would understand the message of God and his love. I remember it wasn't long after I became a Christian, Christchurch thought, my goodness, this guy's a complete nutter. You know, I was going out and every lunchtime I was out in the high street and I was up by the shops there with a Bible telling everybody about God's love. And so they wanted to sort of curtail this nut a little bit. So they sent me off to a Bible college, which was quite a joke really. And so in the autumn of 1984, I went to Bible college. And just a few weeks after being at Bible college with all these Christians, uh, which I thought was hilarious, um, I was asked to go and join... um, is a true story, join a group of students uh, to go and do a mission. I didn't know what a mission was, but I went with them. And uh, they decided to show a film about cannibalism in Papua New Guinea to a group of people. There was a story about how uh, Christians had gone there and how a loads of people had become Christian. And I just thought, what you're doing and the language and the images uh, in this film really just didn't connect with anybody at all. And I just thought to myself, I wonder if we could in any way communicate God's love in a much clearer way. Uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine just before I came down, uh, down here. He is a town planner. And uh, he was at a planning meeting just the other day. And he came back, and I literally just landed. It was Wednesday. And he came back, and he looked absolutely exhausted. I said, what happened? He said, there's a local church that wants to um, build a bigger building. And he said, I was asked as chair of the planning committee what I thought about it. And so I tried to give the church the opportunity to talk. He said, as soon as they stood up, he said, I could see all the rest of the planning committee, none of them are Christians. He said, they didn't understand a word they said because they started talking about their commitment to God and their mission and uh, what they want to do and all this sort of thing. He said, but none of it had any connection. He said, because the words they used they were just not heard. They were communicating, but no one was listening. And so secondly, we, if we are gonna be prepared, means to me that we need to be very clear about the language that we use so that we can under, be understood. I've got a very famous young person, uh, James, uh, sitting over there at the back, who is an amazing musician, who was singing to me the other night, and uh, I'm sure he could stand up and tell you all about his Rick uh, Rickenbacker guitar, uh, But he will start talking in a language that I'm sure, within a few seconds, you would not understand what he's going on about, because there's a whole lot of language there. Uh, And it, it reminds me of the fact that we need to be really simple about our message. I think the message of God and his love is really a simple message. And if you had the chance to go on If I gave you the chance to go on the Oprah Winfrey Show and you were given one minute to explain in a very clear way, in one minute, without using any religious words about God and his love, I wonder if you could do it. And using language that would not alienate people but help people to engage in God. Something I learned very early on in my Christian Christian life but also when I first went to Guatemala and it was a boy called Michael who started teaching me all sorts of amazing things, a lot of swear. Uh, but one day, we were watching this guy preaching. And I said to him, Michael, what are they doing? He went, well, they're preaching. And I said, what do you mean they're preaching? He where well, they're preaching the word of God. And I said, okay, what, are, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, Jesus went, died on the cross, and he died for our sins. And he gives me the whole gospel. And that's a call. Do you understand that? Yes, you do understand that. That's great. You see, our people out there wouldn't understand that. And so he did the old guy. I said to Michael, what is he doing now? And he just like, he went, you know nothing, do you? And I said, no, I don't. That's why you're my teacher. And he said, "Are oh, they asking people to become Christians. And I said, oh, that's amazing. I said, have you ever done that, Michael? And he said, yeah, I do it every day. I said, what do you mean if you do it every day? And he said, well, if you, if you go forward and you say the prayer, you get a hug. And he said, all I want is a hug. And I just thought... What is it they're trying to communicate? You know, what is it that people are listening to? Michael, all he wanted was a hug. And so he just keeps saying the prayer over and over again. And so we've got to make sure that when we're communicating, we're communicating very clearly. And it's leading to something. Thirdly, uh, we've got to be prepared uh, that our clear call and our answer is going to lead to transformation. When I say transformation, what I mean is that uh, when... Peter wrote this book and he wrote to the early disciples. He was fired up about all the things that God was doing and about the power of Jesus to transform people's lives. And he wanted to say to people, if you are expectant, then you will know that when you give an answer to that question, that transformation will come. And we're going to have a look at a photograph here. Um, uh, The boy in the photograph is a boy called Brandon. And uh, I work with him, he's one of the boys in my mentoring program. Uh, Brandon is uh, just turned 13. And, uh, and put the next one up, please, because this is Brandon's mum and dad. Now, when I talk about transformation, I talk about people like this. Um, Brandon's mum and dad, uh, Brandon, just over a year ago, would be calling me saying, Duncan, we're homeless again. My dad's drunk, he's on the streets, you know, he's beaten my mum. And uh, there's some pretty horrendous stuff going on uh, in Brandon's life with his sisters as well. And so I went one day, I was so annoyed with this guy uh, because once again, he had made the kids homeless. Once again, we had to put them up in the protection home. Once again, we had to intervene. Once again, we had to get the police involved. And uh, I just said to him, you know, this is what God has called you to do as a father. And he was really quiet. And I didn't see him for a couple of weeks. And a couple of weeks later, he told me to become a Christian. And uh, a year later, it's amazing He's one of the leaders, he and his wife are leaders of a church in Guatemala City. And it's incredible. That's what I mean when I talk about transformation. God is transforming people's lives because of the hope that it is uh, with love, making sure that when we're sharing and when we're answering and when we're communicating our call, we know that transformation will come because we're communicating in love. Those early Christians were very good at doing that and demonstrating that. But verse 15, where they read uh, that verse uh, from 14 earlier, but it goes on to say this, but with gentleness and respect, which basically means with love. Now, we've all known people who, and we've all had to suffer, some people in the church who come up with all sorts of incredible words that are very hurtful words. And they say things and we communicate sometimes in a way that can be very hurtful. And I wanted to just encourage us uh, today to think when we give an answer to everyone who asks us to give a reason for the hope that we have, that we do so in love. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, with a group of Christians and they were uh, sharing, I watched them as they were sharing the gospel with a group of young, children, young people on the streets. And because the young people were not listening to what they were saying, the leader of this group of evangelists shouted out to them, I'm, I know you're all going to go to hell and I hope you're happy there. How much love is being portrayed in that? My friend is a youth. Uh, he said to me recently, he works for the bishop in the, that diocese, and he was doing a survey. And one of the surveys came through um, about, from a minister about their relationship with young people. And he made very clear on the form, he said, we do not welcome young people in our church. And he said, and he wrote this on the bottom of the form, he said, the last group of young people we had in the church, I found them in the porch talking and playing, so I chased them off with a stick. With love, with love. Um, I want to show you very quickly, because I've got to finish um, in four minutes, um, just Couple of photographs. Um, this is me sitting on a bed with a boy and his mum, and uh, this boy recently, in his school holidays, built this house for his family. We've managed to rescue them off uh, the, uh, out of the terminal. And we we'll put the next slide up, please, uh, because that is Freddie. And uh, I went, and I've been trying over the last two years, that uh, Freddie's been in the mentoring program, there's little Brandon there with me, um, to try and get Freddie's legal papers. And I knew that this year he was turning 15, and I said, I've got to have his legal papers. And he was really embarrassed. He came in at that last slide, it was him with his head down like this, and his mum had the legal papers, and he started to cry. Because he said, his mum said, here's his legal papers, and on it I could see a photograph of his ID card. You can't get an ID card until you're 18. I said, you're 18? And he went, yes. I said, well... I thought you were 15 this year. He does look a lot younger. It's very underdeveloped because of all sorts of stuff that happened to him as a younger child, uh, the mum said. And I said, why did you lie to me? You, and he said, because I know that the mentoring programme stops at 18. He said, I didn't want to lose you. So we kicked him out. So. <laughs> um, no, he's still part of it, don't worry. Um, so people know let's put the next slide up people know that where to go to um, where there is love where you're ministering in love people know that very clearly these kids come to us Um, those who read my recent blog I changed his name Um, I called him Kevin it's not his real name but this is uh, the boy I call Kevin Um, and uh, Sarah was actually visiting uh, Guatemala at the time so she was in the house and uh, the doorbell goes and this little boy, nine years of age, Kevin turns up. And he shouldn't be there, he should be in school. And so I wonder why he's there, and he's got a backpack on. So I said, oh, come on in. So he comes in, give him a drink. So I said, do you want to tell me what's in your rucksack? And he said, yeah, all my clothes. So then that's what I realized, that he's run away from home. And uh, in his head, I know what he was thinking. There's horrendous abuse going on at home. He'd walked seven hours to get to the house not had a dream there, to knock on the door. Fortunately, I was there, um, and he said, but I just want to come and live with you. Because at that place, we can't, but he you know, he'd found love. He's now in a, an amazing children's home, and I went to see him uh, just uh, earlier last week before I got on a plane to go over here. Uh, this is where I know that I'm loved. And so, just as a very quick recap, um, when, Paul, when Peter says, you know, always be prepared, here you go, CCTW. Next time you see that, that you, I won't charge you extra for that. Um, be very clear uh, in your call and make sure you know that you're expecting it's going to lead to transformation, but always do that and respond in a way that is loving. We, I believe, are going to be given the most incredible opportunity over these next few weeks and months to be. A Christian nation like we've never been before. I think God is going to give us an opportunity to give an incredible answer to all those who ask us for the reason, for the hope that we have. We have an amazing opportunity to reach out to people, to share toilet paper with them, to share food with them, to touch people, to pray with people, to love people, to minister to people. I think God is going to give us his very unique opportunity in the history of this country to do something pretty amazing. Don't miss out on this opportunity, church. Yeah. Don't impact what we can, impact we can for the kingdom of God. Amen. Yeah. Let's stand together. In this place, but we don't want to be here. We want to be out there and we want to be uh, able to live lives that people are going to ask us the question, about the, the hope that we have, the reason we have so much hope in you, because we know that you are the King of Kings. We know you are in control. We know, Lord, that nothing is going to happen to this nation that is not going to go past you and past your will. And so I pray that you would help us, that you would fill us now. Just put your hands up in the air. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that God, you would fill us now with the power of your Holy Spirit, so we can go out from this place to make a difference and always be prepared to give an answer to everybody and do that with clarity, Lord, to be able to speak and to do that in love. We ask that you would fill us with power now so we make a difference in this nation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.